0: 23rd, 1927, and the young Jesuit priest was taken from his jail cell into the courtyard. He had been awaiting execution. This was part of the vicious persecution of the Mexican government, uh, by the Mexican government of the Catholic Church. And as he went into the courtyard, he knelt and he prayed, and then he stood up and he faced his executioners. Without wearing the blindfold customarily worn, he blessed them and forgave them for what they were about to do to him. Then he held out his arms in the likeness of Christ crucified. And right before the bullets came, he shouted in a loud voice Viva Cristo Rey! Viva Cristo Rey! Long live Christ the King! This became the rallying cry of the Cristeros who resisted the vicious persecution of the church in Mexico in the first half of the 20th century. Viva Cristo Rey. Long live Christ the King. In this last Sunday of liturgical year, we celebrate the solemnity of Jesus Christ, King of the universe. We acknowledge that Christ has power and authority, rightful authority over the whole universe, nature and supernature, life and death, history, angels and demons, people of every nation and land. And the readings today tell us how Christ the King exercises his power and authority. We have in the first reading the image not only of a king, but a shepherd king. Reminds us of David, the shepherd who became king of Israel. God foretells a day, though, when he will personally shepherd his people that he will tend them, he'll feed them, he'll give them rest, he'll seek out the lost and return the stray, he'll bind up the injured. And this is exactly what Jesus does during his earthly ministry. Jesus is God personally shepherding his people. And Jesus continues to do that, has continued to do that through the ministry of the church. He is the son of David, the good shepherd king, and in him, God personally cares for His people. Kings also judge. And so Jesus describes His return in glory and the last judgment. That He will sit on His throne, He will be surrounded by angels. And the nations will be brought before Him. Everyone who has ever lived will be brought before Him. And they go into one of two groups. Either His right, the sheep, or His left, the goats. Now the sheep... Inherit the kingdom. The goats go to eternal punishment. He judges them based on the good they did or the good they failed to do. And both groups are surprised by what he says, right? They said, when did we see you? Hungry or thirsty or in prison or sick, huh? And he says, when you did what you did or didn't do for the least of my brethren, you did or didn't do for me. Now, often when we read this passage from Matthew 25, we... Um, We simply assume that Jesus was referring to, you know, everyone in need. Uh, But actually, in this passage, Jesus is specifically referring to Christians. This is when he speaks of his brethren, he's speaking of his disciples. And perhaps particularly those who are his witnesses or missionaries who are suffering hardship for the sake of the gospel. This aligns with What Jesus says in Matthew 10 when he tells his disciples that whoever receives you receives me. Whoever gives even a cup of water to the little one who is my disciple will be rewarded. And the idea here is that all of us, right, who are united to Christ represent him. And so what is done or not done towards us is is attributed as being done or not done towards Christ. Every, Every Mass we announce... Uh, the third of the readings as the gospel and you know probably it means good news but the original words in Greek, euangelion and Hebrew, beser specifically meant royal good news so when uh, David dies and Solomon becomes king missionaries or, or emissaries are sent throughout the kingdom to announce the good news Right uh, when The king's armies won battle, won an important battle. Emissaries would be sent to announce the evangelion, the good news of the king's victory. And so Jesus, who's the king of the universe, he sends emissaries to announce the reign of God in him. And people need to hear this message. So they have an opportunity to accept Jesus as Lord. He's their Lord, whether they admit it or not, or know it or not but it's better for them to know it, to accept it, and to submit to him. It's very different when the ancient emperors and kings would send out their emissaries. Darius of Persia was a very powerful emperor, and he sent out ambassadors to the Greek city-states, demanding that they submit to him. These ambassadors would tell of Darius' great armies, and the battles they won, the great wealth of the Persian Empire. The ambassadors themselves were dressed and equipped in such a way as to impress upon others the riches and power of their king. And you may know one of the stories when the ambassador came to the Spartans, what they did with him, they threw him in a well. And this was decades and decades of war as the Spartans fought the per- as the Greeks fought the Persians. But notice the difference with Jesus. Jesus sends his little ones to announce the message. The message that the creator of the universe has come to mankind, and he has come to us not to subject us for his own benefit, but rather to care for us, to heal us, to unite us, and to give us life. As we heard in the second reading, all mankind is under a sentence of death because of Adam. And in Christ, we are brought to life. And eventually, every false, every pretender, every false authority, sovereignty, power, will be destroyed by Christ until even death itself is destroyed. Earthly kings make familial alliances. You know, they marry off their daughters to other powerful families, right? To increase their power to increase their wealth and influence. But Jesus, the king of the universe, considers as his family the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned. And those who minister to needs of the little brothers, sisters of Jesus Christ, they don't even really realize fully what they're doing. right? How closely Christ identifies with his disciples. And yet, there's a grace that they respond to, a love, the love of God they correspond to. So in the end, they're rewarded. The triumph of Christ the King is fully accomplished at the end of history. But what happened with the Cristeros Rebellion and with Blessed Miguel Pro signified the victory of Christ. You see, Father Miguel had been uh, traveling clandestinely for a while, because the sacraments were banned by the Mexican government. Catholics were not permitted to gather. So he would wear disguises. Sometimes he would dress like a, like a wealthy gentleman. Sometimes he would dress like a janitor. And he would sneak around. He would hear confessions. He would give communion. 300 communions a day on a regular day and first Fridays. 1,200 people would receive communion from him. And he really, he kind of made it a game. He kept getting one step ahead of the authorities until finally they caught up with him and they falsely accused him of participating in an assassination plot. The president of Mexico, President Callez, he wanted this young priest to be put to death and he wanted a picture to be taken of his execution, to be put in all the newspapers so everyone who was resisting him would be afraid. But that's not what happened. Just the opposite happened. In fact, as people heard about the martyrdom of Miguel Pro, they were inspired in their resistance. Though he was denied a Catholic funeral, his body was processed through the streets towards the cemetery and 40,000 people gathered as his body was taken. And not long after that, the government was forced to make peace with the church and allow those Catholic Christians again to practice their faith publicly. May Christ the King rule our every thought, word, and deed. May we love him in the least of our brethren. And may we hear him say to us on that last day, Come you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world.